0: Okay, welcome to Tuesday Night Bible Study, so we're going to start out with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. We thank you and praise you for all the beautiful things you do for us. We're thankful, Lord, for the Savior that came and paid the price so we can enjoy this abundant life that you promised us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the written Word of God that we have, that we can come and sit down and study this book and look at it and meditate on it, and... Just play with it like a new toy. Lord, I just heard that say a so while ago, and I thought that was so neat. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving us your Word. And you've given it to us, and you do expect us to really take it and read it and study it. And, and just like we would play with a new toy if somebody gave a child a new toy, they just play with it, play with it, and play with it. Lord, help us to meditate on the Word and read it and heed it and, and do what it says. And I thank you and praise you. For the privilege to know you and to serve you and to love you. And Lord, I I am so grateful that you love us enough to pay this awful price that it took to redeem us. Thank you, Father. Now, bless everything we do tonight and lock every word into our hearts and don't let the enemy, Lord, we rebuke the enemy and command him not to steal a word out of our mind or our heart tonight. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to send the Holy Spirit to really reveal the Word to us, the spiritual truths of the Word to us, and lock it into our hearts and our minds so we can use it against the enemy, so we will not sin against you. And we thank you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start out tonight in Colossians. Uh, It's a great book. Praise the King. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is, I mean, it is a, one of my favorite books. I, I just love that book, especially chapter 1 and chapter 2, where it talks about we are delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. And it tells us about that, all the wonderful things that belongs to us as sons and daughters of God. Colossians chapter 1 and 2 is a great book to study. Oh, what happened to my mic? I sound like I just went. Oh, I guess it's still there, though, isn't it? Okay, so I thought it cut off for a minute there, but uh, it's working now. But anyway, the book of Colossians—you have to read it slow, meditate on it, because it's so powerful. But I've come to find out the whole Bible is like that. It is so powerful, and I have—I want you to know this is not a negative confession. It's just a fact. I have never met a single human being anywhere that I know, including myself, that can believe ever promise God made us in his word without any doubt in our heart. Now then, if I could get to that point, the king says in his word several places, according to your faith be it done unto you. And then he says in other places If you can believe with no doubt in your heart, you can not only speak to a mountain and command the mountain to move from here to there, and it will obey you, but he says, Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you'll have whatever you say. Now that's written almost word for word in the Bible. Now how many people really believe that? Well, we try to. We try to. Just like last night, you know... uh, uh, late last night, one of the precious little daughters of ours out there at the ministers, center, I call all the young ladies our daughters that work out there. Cheryl and I were kind of mom and dad over the whole bunch, and they're all young enough to be our children. But we love them all like our children. Well, One of the sure enough young ones, uh, she had uh, taken some kind of a juice or something and obviously had a reaction. I mean, when she drank this berry juice or whatever it was, I mean, she came come in there and said, uh, Pastor, I'm tingling all over. And man, I looked at her and she was breaking out with red splotches. She had them on her face, on her arms, all over her, on her chest. You know, where you could see a, right down where her blouse came down. She was all over. And so I just reached up and put my hand on her and just said, in the name of Jesus. Now, that's where you got to start, right? In the name of Jesus, I speak to your body. And I command everything in your body that is reacting to whatever this was to be normal. And if there's an enemy involved in this, I command him to leave in the name of Jesus. I command your body to be normal. And it began to get normal right before our very eyes. You know, some people will say, wow, isn't that awesome? But see, you've got to believe it's going to do that when you say it, because if you don't, it won't work. You've got to believe with no doubt in your heart. You know, the average Christian today will say, I don't believe that. Well, it won't work for you. You know, don't try it because it won't work. People say, well, I tried that and it didn't work for me. That's the problem. You tried it. See, you didn't do it. Did Jesus say you have to have faith to make these things work? Did he say you have to believe? If Jesus says, by my stripes, you are healed, have you got to believe that, young lady? If you do believe that, then... What can you do with that? Hey, you're healed. Absolutely, in the name of Jesus. Now, I've got to tell you right here about a story about a Baptist preacher and his wife that called me this last week. And she said, about a year and a half ago, I was trying to get healed. And said, I came to Dallas and we prayed and we'd done all kinds of things. And I'm not sure where they were from. I'm uh, New Mexico or Colorado or somewhere. I don't remember i talked to so many people in the course of a day. But anyway, she said that uh, while she was at Dallas, her and her husband were praying, and all of a sudden, she said, I heard the Lord speak to me. And he called my name and said, I have already healed you. So she said, I said, well, gee, Lord, if I'm already healed, then tomorrow when my doctor's appointment is which is do when I get there tomorrow, I know the doctor will confirm to me that I'm healed and I don't have any problems. And the Lord spoke to her again and said, "If I have told you you're healed, you are not to go back to that doctor tomorrow." So she said, "I went home," and she said, "When I got home, I was feeling wonderful. Said I hadn't felt this good in a long time." So I got home and said, "We told we said we have three men in our church that's in." in the deliverance ministry. And so so we called, my husband and I called those three men together and told them, the three men that's in the deliverance ministry, told them what God had said and that I had come home and I was feeling great. And they said, well, if you're feeling great, then let's make an appointment for you to go down to the local doctor and let's check to see if you really are healed. Now, there ain't no faith in this bunch. I mean, this is an average Christian today. Here she is feeling great. She's had an audible voice from God. Tell her she's already healed. She comes back home, and she's feeling like a million dollars. Everything's working great. And yet she allows those men to coax her into going to the doctor in a few days and getting a checkup. And when she does, when they examine her, the doctor said, You're not only not healed, you're worse than you ever was. And she said, the next morning when I woke up, I had the worst symptoms. She said, up until this point, I had no symptoms. But she said, the next morning when I woke up, I had the worst symptoms I've ever had in my life. And I hurt so bad, I couldn't understand it. And so she said, we started crying out to God. Lord, we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand this spoken voice we've heard. We don't understand why you said in your word, by your strap we are healed, but yet I'm not healed. And said, we've got to have some help. Lord, we've got to have somebody to teach us how this stuff works. And she said, in a few days after we prayed that prayer, by a coincidence, somebody gave us some of your CDs. Now, what do you think that chance that was a coincidence, Jack? You think that was a coincidence? Since they prayed and asked God to tell them how it worked, you think it was a coincidence they showed up with my CDs at their doorstep? No, there wasn't no coincidence in that at all. God knew He had trained me and he knew I'm teaching it like it's written, and he knew the simplicity that he has trained me, and as simple as I teach it, that they could get it. And so that's why he sent them another Baptist man's information so they could get it. So she said, my husband and I have been devouring your CDs for the last year. But she said, I'm still not healed. I'm still having a problem. I explained to her, about taking away from the enemy by force with the Word of God. About, I said, now, you know, Jesus wrote in His Word, and He also spoke to you audibly and told you it's already done. I said, that should have been enough for anybody. When you heard God tell you, I've already done it for you, I've healed you, I said, you should have jumped up and run and said, praise God, I'm healed. I don't care what kind of symptoms i got, I'm healed. Praise God, if the king told me I'm healed, you can't get a higher authority than that. I said, but you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. And I said, you really didn't believe that. Because I said, you wanted to go to the doctor the next day. I mean, you even told the, the Lord, Lord, well, if I'm healed, then tomorrow those doctors will be able to confirm this. And he spoke to her again and said, no, if I told you you're healed, you are not to go back to that doctor. But she went anyway. you know, And it came back upon her. I said, you sinned. See, Romans fourteen twenty three makes an awesome statement. And it's uh, it's just awesome. Anything that you do that's not of faith is sin. I wonder how many times we sin in a day. <laughs> Too many, right? Amen. Anything that's not of faith or according to the Word of God is sin. So, Keith, I wonder how many times in a day you and me do things that's not lined up with the Word. <laughs> but somebody turn to Romans fourteen twenty three and see if that's what it says. Is that what it says, John? You've already you've already been there, huh? That's what it says. Anything that's not of faith is sin. In other words, if the word of God tells us that by his stripes we are healed and we don't believe that, then we just sinned. Didn't we? You know, if the Lord said in His Word, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And we go around and say, Oh, God, I hope the devil don't attack me today. Are you walking in sin? Yes, you are, because you're walking in unbelief. You're walking in unbelief. I mean, if the devil, if the devil comes up and says, I've come to kill you today. I'm going to destroy you. And you're a daughter of the king? What should you do? Ah, don't touch
1: me, please. I'll do anything you say.
0: (laughs) That's kind of the way we are. You know what we should say? We should say, oh, it's just you, devil. It's just you. Oh, let me tell you, I'll take a nap. I'm going to take a nap on this one. Now, see, that's how comfortable we should feel even in the presence of the devil because we're children of God, right? We're not in his kingdom no more all power has been given to us over Him. What do you do with that? If all power has been given to you over the enemy, how much power has He got left? As long as you're walking in obedience and walking in belief and not walking in sin, He has none. But when you step into fear, just like Peter, Peter walked on the water until that devil got through to him and he stepped from faith to fear. When he went to fear, what happened to him? He went down in the water. And when Jesus looked at him, I can see him now when he reached down in the water to get his hand and picked him up, pulled him back, and he said, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Reckon we have that same problem? Yes, we do. Why do you doubt? Well, let me tell you, the enemy knows us well, and he knows in the flesh how weak we are, and that's why we've got to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh because there's many examples in the Word of God, and one of them couldn't be any clearer was in the book of Job, right in the very beginning the first two or three chapters of the book of Job. Whenever the devil, whenever the Lord asks the devil, what do you think about my faithful and trusty servant Job here on the earth? He said, well, he ought to be faithful and trusty. You've built a hedge around him where I can't get to him. Now then, if you're worshiping and praising God and loving him and serving him, Number one, God has built a hedge of protection around you to protect you. And the devil can't touch you. Isn't that a good place to be? Hey, I can't think of a better place to walk. But it comes with a cost. It comes with making Him number one in your life. If you don't make God number one in your life, then that protection is not there. And I'm going to tell you, that's probably the biggest sin in the church today is Christians that don't walk according to the first commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your mind, heart, and strength. Uh, most people don't do that. You know, we give God Sunday sometimes. And sometimes we give Him Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, but to do everything we do all day long. I mean, I think today, as I was driving down the road, now I have an old 83 GMC dump truck. And it was bought from the highway department, you know, and it looks really ratty, I'll have to say. But it runs good, and it hauls gravel, and it don't cost me much to keep it running. And I get a lot of things done with it. Today, as I'm driving down the road to go over to pick up some washout to put over there where uh, uh, Cheryl's son lives, Uh, it's been raining, of course, all over out there, and getting into his place is getting kind of messy and so I thought, well, I'll haul a few loads of gravel over there today and put in there so he can get in and out. So as I went over there to get that gravel, I said, Lord, first of all, I want to thank you that you give me the knowledge to learn about these concrete plants that have got this washout so I can get the the, the gravel free. And it don't cost me nothing. And I just accidentally found that one day at a washout plant. I went up around and I saw a sign that says, free gravel. I thought, wow, free gravel? I always need gravel, so I go running up there, and I said, what is this? He said, well, it's the washout. You know, when we have loads come back that we take, we wash the sand and wash the, most of the cement out of it, so we can't get it all out, but said, it's sand and gravel, and he said, we can't reuse it, and I said, so you give it away? He said, sure, we got, we're happy to get it off the place. We've got to get rid of it somewhere, so I said, great. I said, how much do you charge me to load it? He said, oh, nothing. We load it for you for free. I said, Hey. This is my kind of dub. So, anyway, I've been getting washed out ever since for every concrete plant in the country. You know, when I need gravel, hey, so I needed three loads of gravel today. You know, if I had to call somebody to haul me three loads, it would have cost about 80 to 100 bucks a load. You know, so I could have easily spent 300 bucks. And then if I had to have somebody to bring a tractor out there, I could have probably spent another 50 or 100 dollars to get it all leveled out. But I happen to have a little Ford tractor with a box blade on it. I happen to have this old dump truck, and I happen to have the license to drive all this stuff, and I happen to have the knowledge. And so I go out and get my truck on and say, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for this wonderful, beautiful dump truck. Now, somebody looks at it, beautiful dump truck? <laughs> but to me, that baby is beautiful. You know, it's an old yellow truck, but it's got rusty spots on it, but it's a beautiful truck. To me, it hauls gravel. And then I said, "Lord, I want to thank you for those beautiful concrete plants that give me this stuff." And so I got three loads of gravel today. I loaded it out there, and then I took that little tractor and I run up and down there. And when I got through, it just smooth as this floor. I said, "Lord, thank you for the knowledge. Thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for the truck. Thank you for the fuel to put in it. Lord, thank you for everything." And I was praising him and worshiping him all day long. And I thought it was just working like crazy, but I was worshiping and praising him. Now then, if you want to get God to do good things to you and for you, you want to worship Him and praise Him for everything, everything you've got. I mean, this morning, first thing I needed, Cheryl needed three little dinky screws about that long, a 2.5 metric screw for her little computer. Well, I get up early this morning, I go to Denton Bolt, and they don't, they don't have no such thing. He said, Radio Shack might have something. I said, Lord, thank you, Radio Shack. I'll have it. So I went up there, and they didn't have it. Well, I didn't get upset because I know God hates grumbling and complaining. So I said, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you that you're going to give me the idea of where to get those screws. And all of a sudden, Ace Hardberg came into my mind just like that. So I went all the way across Denton, pulled in up there, and I took one of them out, went in there and laid it down. I said, you got a screw like this? He said, I think we do. He goes back there and just in a little drawer pulls out, and he's got six of them. He said, How many need? I said, Three, but I'll take all six. <laughs> so I took all six, went over and put them in Cheryl's computer, tied them up nice and tight. I said, Lord, I praise you and thank you that I got her computer fixed. See, if you want God to meet every need you have all day, every day, just praise him and worship him and thank him. You know, he's an awesome God. But that's what you've got to do. He loves for you to worship him. That's that. New toy you were talking about. When you said that a while ago, that just struck me. She said, the Lord told her the other night, we ought to use the kingdom of God and the Word of God just like a new toy. You know, we ought to play with it. We ought to look at it. We ought to examine it. You know, we need to check it out. We need to spend time with God just like it was a new toy. You know, you give a child a new toy, he'll play with that thing. You know, everything. That's the way we ought to be in the Word, just like that. When you get in there and do those kind of things, he will just love you, and it doesn't make it what happens then. I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't what you do. Everything. Everything goes good. I mean, just like tonight, you know, I mean, I don't do this very often, but I do. I mean, Cheryl lays everything out for me, and I still drove off and forgot the box, you know, the donation box. Now, you see we've got a cardboard box over there tonight, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: so we get there, and she makes me a box. She said, here. For now, just a few minutes before we left, cop. Ty called me and said, we need to go to Independence, Kansas, and pick up my airplane tomorrow. So, of course, she says, once airplane was spoken, I forgot everything there was. She said, you got a one-track mind. When it's airplanes, you forget everything? I was going Ty, it's your fault. <laughs> See, I'm just like all the rest. I want to put the babe on somebody else. I instead of taking it myself. I want to put the monkey on somebody else's back. No, I just forgot it. That's all there is to it. I mean, you know, when he said, let's go to Independence tomorrow, I said, okay, I run in there and packed me a bag, got some underwear, got a couple of shirts, a pair of blue jeans, and a toothbrush, and all that stuff. Throwed it in the bag. And then I run out and everything. And then I thought, uh-oh, I got one other thing. I got to get running. I got my little computer bag right quick that had my computer in it. And I brought it out there and I throwed it in. I thought, okay, I got everything. But I got my Bible, got my notes, but I didn't get the box. <coughs> So see my wife, she said, that's the way it is. When you hear the word airplane, you forget everything else. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like a new toy to me, too. You know, I flew so many years, and then I quit flying for 37 years, and now then that I'm flying again, it is like a kid with a new toy. You know, I'm having so much fun that it's just absolutely awesome. But God wants us to have fun. You know, He does. He wants us to have fun. Now, and uh, I wanted to go flying today, too, but I was too busy. I didn't know, well, we're going to fly tomorrow, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to Kansas tomorrow, praise the Lord, and get that airplane and then come back. Now then, I want to show you in Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1, some things that we have to do. <clears throat> now, the very first word in the King James translation is the biggest word in the whole Bible. What is that, Keith? If. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very big word, does it? <laughs> if. If isn't that amazing? If this is just amazing, if if you then be risen with Christ, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things for which about. Now what if you say you're a Christian? But you're not risen with Christ. What are you going to seek? The things of the world. It's a fact of life. You're going to seek the things of the world. Now then, if you really are risen with Christ, you really are a born-again Christian, you're going to get into the Word, you're going to seek these things, and you're going to want to know more about your Savior. Now, if you really are a child of God, you will want to be in church. You will want to be studying God's Word. I'll I'll make this statement, and you probably, some of you may agree with me, and some of you may not agree with me. I don't believe, I really don't believe that you will ever find a person that's what I call a pervert or a homosexual that's really a born-again believer. I don't believe that. If they say, I'm a Christian, but I, I want to live like this in this lifestyle. This is my body. I'll do what I want to. I don't think they know the king. Or if you've got a couple that's living together out of wedlock, and they say they're Christians. I don't believe they really are. I don't really believe they really are born again sons and daughters of God. They may have a little knowledge here, But it has never penetrated down into their heart as to who they are. If you know you're a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, if you really know that Jesus is living in here, you you can't be a homosexual. You can't be a gay person like that, what they call gay. It's far from gay. That's for sure. It leads to death. You can't live with somebody out of wedlock and be a born-again Christian. You can't be a drunkard on a regular basis and be a spirit-filled, born-again Christian. You just can't be. So I, I don't think that people that say they're Christians that don't go to church, that don't serve God, that don't ever read His Word, I don't think those people know the King. I don't think they know Him because He said... If you then be risen with Christ... In other words, you're really a born-again Christian. He said, then seek those things which are above. Seek them where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Don't just think about them. Seek them. You know, you'll want to get into the Word. You'll want to study the Word. You'll want God to reveal the Word to you. If you really are a born-again Christian... You will want to know God and know Him better. He's your daddy. You want to know about Him. (coughs) It said in verse 2, Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Now, if all you think about is things of the earth, you don't ever set your affections on things above. I'm not sure you really know the King. Because if you're risen with Christ, these are the things you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be meditating on the King, thinking about the King, loving the King. I was telling some of the folks here earlier tonight, uh, since this only happened just a short while back, uh, many times God has spoken to me and audibly and many times in my spirit. And I know some of you also heard that voice yourself. But I had a unique experience with God the other night. Uh, Everybody had left. It was on a Tuesday night. We had taught the Word. We prayed for people. And we're all getting ready to go home. And everybody's gone except just the little team of us that are finishing up. We're getting ready to leave. And as I start to walk down the corridor right there, the Lord says, Son, go check the back door, the lock on the back door. Well, immediately, I don't know why it is we have a tendency to argue with God. You know, I mean, after all, the king knows everything. And He's infinite, and I'm fine out. Why would I say, but God, why should I check the door? It couldn't be unlocked. You know, why, do, why, not, why don't we just say, okay, God, I'll go check it. I'm trying to get there. I didn't argue with Him much. You know, I just turned and went around back through there. didn't say nothing to nobody. I went back through there, turned the light on, and reached up and grabbed the door. It just came right up. I thought, wow. Lord, that's amazing. You, really, you knew it was unlocked. He's pretty smart. You know what? Wow. <laughs> so I pulled the door back down and I locked the lock I told him about it and so Eldon he started checking the door every Tuesday night well he's found it unlocked again since then and so today I was telling Fred and Kathy about this as are the owners of the place and Fred says I'm Kathy when I told her she said that is so comforting to know that God is concerned about our business here. See, isn't it? You know, he He is interested in this business because we meet here and Fred and Kathy both love Him. See, that's the whole thing. They love Him. They serve Him. And they come to church nearly every Sunday When they're in town for sure they're here. But because this little group meets here and we discuss God's Word, He don't want nothing to happen to this place. And He didn't want it to be broken into... So he told me to go check the back door. I think how awesome that is. When those thoughts come to us, we need to learn that's God talking to us. You know, don't just fluff off a thought. I'm getting ready to walk out, and all of a sudden the thought comes to my mind go check the back door. Where'd that come from? Just keep right on walking. How many times in my life have I done that? Far too many. Far too many. And who knows how many times I've missed a blessing. When, I just, when that thought comes, that's the Spirit of God speaking through my spirit to my mind. And I think that's just a fleeting thought. And instead of acting on it, I dismissed it. But I know you've done the same thing. All of us have. He says in verse 3, for you are dead. You're dead. How many of you know you're dead? Do you know you're dead? It took me a long time to figure out I was dead. You know, Or at least I'm supposed to be. It, it, as Christians, we don't stay dead very well. I said a lot of times when we were buried with him in baptism, we supposedly died. But I said the only thing I got to say with most people I baptized, I didn't hold them down long enough. So they resurrected all too quick. And some of them didn't much more get out the door than uh, something happened, you know, or they got knocked down, dragged out with somebody, or who knows, whatever. If you don't think it's easy to resurrect a Christian from the dead when God says we can raise the dead, let me tell you, I've seen every Christian know get raised from the dead several times. They may die again, but in a few days, they get resurrected. They come back to life. Well, we need to learn to stay dead. That's what He wants us to do. He says, For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, that's the way He sees you. You need to... You need to get a hold of the fact this has already been done. And this is the way God sees you as His children. You are supposed to be dead because when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were supposed to have died. And He was supposed to have moved in. And now then, His life is supposed to live through you. And you are supposed to be dead to the things of the world. But we don't do a very good job. We don't do a very good job at all. It says in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Can you imagine that? Appearing with him in glory. One day he's coming back. We're going to see him. You know, some people have seen him. I have talked to only a very few people in my life that have ever seen the king. But a few have. Has anybody in here ever seen Jesus? I never have seen Him. Oh, she said she's seen Him. Yeah. I have never seen Jesus. I've heard His voice lots of times, but I've never seen Him. I would love to see Him. I know I will someday. I know I will. But He says there then in verse 5, it says, Mortify or crucify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now this is something that is very difficult for you and me to do. "...to mortify or crucify your members, which are up on the earth." What is he talking about? In the, next, at the, in the continuation of that verse, he says, "...which are fornication." In other words, sex outside of wedlock. You've got to kill that. You've know, you got to kill it. That's the, that is a very hard thing to kill. I mean, God put a desire in a man and a woman for a sexual relationship... And it is a very hard member to kill. I mean, that that probably is one of the most awesome sins that there is, because there's so many of them. We got a question right here. Let me see what this young lady she's got to say.
1: It says in my translation, "So kill, deaden, deprive of power the evil desires lurking in your members; those
0: animal impulses." Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that's true. That's exactly what we're trying to get rid of, as he's talking about here. He says, when mortify or kill or crucify these members, which are upon the earth, number one, it says fornication or sex outside of wedlock, and then it says uncleanliness, uncleanliness. Now, you can just, whatever you want to imagine right after fornication is uncleanliness. Just let your imagination run wild. You know, I think about whenever the movie or whatever you want to call it uh, that this pastor showed to the city fathers in New Orleans just a few weeks before the destruction of the city when they were supposed to have the largest homosexual meeting, day of decadence or whatever they call that down there, uh, you know, he showed them. Films of live things that these men had been doing, and you—you wouldn't—I mean, the average decent Christian human would couldn't even fathom the wicked things these people were doing to one another. Yeah, I mean, you—you you, you can't even can't even imagine it. You know, every form of uncleanliness that you can imagine—I mean, these people do. But so, just let your imagination run wild. When it comes to uncleanness, what is unclean? You know, I mean, goodness gracious, a lot. Then it says, this, uh, whatever you call that word there, inordinate affection, whatever that is, and concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Which is idolatry. Then it says, to the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. In other words, before you became a Christian, if you lived to be 20 years of age before you became a Christian, probably most of those things right there, you walked in them. You walked in them. You know, people, they don't know what sin is when you're lost. They just do whatever. It's okay. I mean, I I think about I think about some of the things that people do and things I've seen people do and I wonder how in the world could those people do those kind of things to one another? I just I don't understand it. Some of those wow. Yeah. But anyway, he says and when he talks about that and a lot of people he's talking to them, saying they've done these same things. And and many people have. And when I think about this and where people live that are not Christians, I think about a secretary we used to have when I was still in the workforce. And she, of course, in the workforce I always talked about Jesus. And so this lady knew I was a very strong believer in Jesus and everything. And so she and her husband started going back to church. And I don't know what kind of church they were going to. But she told me one morning, one Monday morning when I walked in, she said, turn me. Let me tell you what happened. There was a 65-year-old man yesterday got saved in our church. I just jumped up and said, praise God. And she looked at me and said, doesn't that make you feel cheated? Now, where do you think she's coming from? Where would your spirit, if you were a spirit-filled, born-again Christian like I was, what do you think went through my heart? Make me feel cheated? I said, You gotta be kidding. I said, He was the one that was cheated, not me. But she said, Thurman. He got to do everything he wanted to do till he was sixty five. Now that he stays, he's gonna have to change. <laughs> How well do you think this woman knew Jesus?
1: <laughs>
0: she didn't know her she didn't know him very well, did she? No. Because see, if you know Jesus and you have the only thing wrong, if you got saved at 11, like I did, you wish you could have got saved when you was 2. You know, not 11. But if you were 30 when you got saved, then I can look back and say, my land, it was nearly 35 before I began to get a hold of the things of the Word of God and begin to see God do things and answer prayer and all I can say is, Lord, I wished I had known when I was 10 what I finally figured out by the time I got to be 40 or 50. And can't we all say that? Don't Now that you've been trained even in the world, you can look back and say, if I only knew this when I was younger. But when it comes to the things of God, if I'd only known these things about God. If I'd have had somebody... If I'd have had somebody, a spirit-filled pastor or a a mentor of some kind to teach me what I've learned and started, if I'd have had a dad that had known these things, that could have taught them to me when I was 10 or 11, wow, what a privilege. But you know, most young people ain't looking for it. You can try to teach them. They don't they don't even want to know because they're so carnal. They don't even want to know about God. They'd, they'd rather be fishing or swimming or skiing or something. But I don't. I ain't got time to listen to that stuff about Jesus. You know, very few young children want to learn about God. You've got to teach them from day one that God is exciting and fun. And when they see you walk every day in a divine anointing with God, some of them will want it. But it'll take some of them. Some of them won't even want it then. You know, some of them won't even want it then. But if you walked in these bad things that he's talking about there, fornication, uncleanliness, and all these uh, uh, inornate uh, affections, and evil concupiscence, and, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says in verse 6, for which things, these things we just talked about, for these things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Now, that tells us why the children are sick and afflicted, isn't it? Because we walk in these things. When we walk in these things, it brings the wrath of God upon us, which brings torment and sickness and disease. It brings handicapped children. It brings mentally retarded children. It brings children with not all their members together and everything you can imagine. Here, while back, I had the misfortune, I guess. I I went down to Dallas, down here, to the Shriners Hospital. Now, I don't know if you know what I think about the Masonic Lodge, but if you haven't, you haven't read my article on the website. I think that's a deception from the devil that deceives so many men and women. I mean, again, you can't read their books and know that this is the devil and not God. You know, and so it's amazing how the devil has blinded our minds. But I went down to this hospital, and here these doctors are trying to do good works for children. But all of them are masons. They're all masons. You can't be a doctor in that hospital and not be a mason. You have to be a mason. But they're trying to do good works. But these men have been deceived. But when I walked through, how many of you have ever been to Dallas Medical Center down here? Some of you have, very few. When I walked through that place that day, I saw children in wheelchairs. I saw them, every nationality, every color, every creed, children from every walk of life. I saw children down there without legs. I saw them without arms. I saw them with arms twisted around behind their backs. They could not be pulled around in front. I saw children every way you can imagine. You know why those children are like that? They're there because of the curses. They're there because of sin. That's no accident. It's no accident those children are there like that. People said, if God was real, He wouldn't let this happen. How many times have you ever heard anybody say that? You ever heard somebody say that? If there was a God, He wouldn't do this. You've heard that, right? Sure. I've heard it. Let me tell you. You don't understand God's rules. See, this is the beautiful part about God. He made a system, and the first thing He did was made a set of rules. These are my laws. If you break these laws, then I will do this. If you walk in obedience to these laws, then I will do this. Now, everybody wants to walk in the blessings. But very few people want to walk in obedience. He said even today under the new covenant, if you hold a grudge against someone, I will send a tormenting spirit to torment you until you pay me the last penny you owe me. And there's not enough. Years left in your life to pay God what you owe Him for your sin. you know that? You can't pay. But He said, if you hold a grudge. And He goes so far as to say that if you hold a grudge, not only will I send a tormenting spirit to you, but I will send it to your wife and to your children and to every asset you own. You know, when I got that in Matthew 18, chapter. Chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I could not believe that the first time I read that. I thought, God wouldn't do that to me. But let me tell you, I learned my lesson. I read that and I thought, God, you couldn't mean what you said in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. You couldn't really, because I hold a grudge, you couldn't really turn me over to a tormenting spirit to be tormented and especially, and add my wife in there, and my children, and all of my assets, my cars, and everything. And that's why that if, if I see a guy or his wife has got a grudge against someone, and they go down and buy a brand new car, it's got a thirty-six thousand mile warranty, and it gets to forty thousand, and the transmission goes out. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, you think oh, it's a lemon? I got a lousy car. Just as soon as I get outside the warranty, everything breaks on this car. But the next guy, he's walking in obedience to God's Word. He's not doing anything wrong. And he buys the same car in the same showroom the same day for the same price. And he drives it 200,000 miles never has a problem with it. You, know, you think, what's, what's the deal here, God? Well, see, the Lord made a set of rules. And He told you what He would do. He told you that if you'd obey Him, He would bless you. And He told you, if you disobeyed Him, what He would do. But we don't see this side of God. We don't see this side of God. I don't know how I missed it all those years. God would never do nothing like that to me. Oh, yes, He will. Oh, yes, He will. You know, He is the one that makes everything like it is. He is the one that made the rules. If he tells you, in his word, you hold a grudge against someone under the new covenant. Now, this is not under the old law. This is under the new covenant. He said, if you hold a grudge and don't forgive somebody from your heart, not only will I not forgive you, but I will turn you over to the torture, and you will be tormented day and night. You know, if people believe that, it wouldn't make it. what anybody done to you, you just slough it off and go on, right? Because, see, you don't understand. I didn't understand that. Until one day, I, about 7 o'clock in the morning, one morning, I had a Baptist preacher from Fort Worth call me. He said, "Thurman, I have a problem with a woman in my church, and I need you to come down and see if you can minister to her. He said, she's had all kinds of problems. She's had back pains and all kinds of problems. said, the doctors have done a complete hysterectomy on this woman, and it has not solved her problem. She's still got it. He said, I really believe her problem is spiritual. Well, now, for a Baptist preacher, he stepped over into a little bit. Every problem you have is spiritual. I've learned now that if, if the spirit world is what causes everything. If you're right spiritually with God, then you don't have any physical ailments. But if you're not right with God spiritually, then you're going to have physical ailments because you're going to have demons that come to torment you. But I didn't understand this then. So anyway, I told him, I said, okay, after church this afternoon, I'll meet you at a certain place in Fort Worth at 2 o'clock. So I left church and drove down there, and he met me there, and we left my car, and I went with him. We drove over to a house in Fort Worth, and we pulled up there. I did not know this family. And when I walked into the house, there's four boys standing there. There's a man standing there. There's another man standing there, another woman standing there. And he introduced me to all these people. And then I said, well, where is the woman I come to minister to? Well, the husband said, well, she's back in the bedroom. She won't come out. And I said, well, go back there and get her. I need to talk to her. They went back there, and for several minutes they tried, and she would not come out. And so I prayed and rebuked the enemy with what little knowledge I had. I rebuked the enemy and asked them to go back. I said, now go back and get her, and she will come out. And she did. But when they brought her out, a woman that I'd never seen before in my life, the minute she walked through the doorway with her husband on one arm and her sister on the other arm, this woman with her head down, her big old black head of hair hanging down in her face, started screaming, I hate you I'll hurt you, i mean, I don't want you in my house. Now, if you're a normal Southern Baptist deacon, you'd have said, boy, I'm in the wrong place. I'm, I'll see you all later. Yeah, that's what you would say, isn't it? But now, thank goodness I'm not normal. So, praise the, praise the Lord. I told them, I said, bring her over and set her down right there. So they brought her over and sat down. I knelt down on my knees right in front of her. And I reached up to touch her hair so I could move it out of her face so I could see her. And she slapped me. She said, hey, you touch me, I mean I'm going to hurt you. Man, I jumped back you know, I said, no, you're not going to hurt me. I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And right out of her mouth, I heard this gruff man's voice say, I'm not coming out. I have legal right to be here. And I thought, you know the Word of God says the devil is a liar. I said, you lie devil? I said, you don't have legal right to be in there. I said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And he began to no, I have legal right. I am not leaving. Now, this is a man's voice talking out of this little woman's mouth. And all of a sudden I start talking to God, you know, silently, just me and God. I'm not talking out loud, but in my spirit I'm saying, Lord, I don't understand this devil's lying to me this devil I'm commanding him to come out in your name and he's not budging. I said, "Lord, what what's going on here?" And the Lord says, "Son, he's not coming out because I sent him." And I said, "I rebuke you, devil." I mean, you know, I know so little about the spirit world. I mean, that's got to be a devil too. You know, but it was God. And when I said, I rebuke you, devil, he said, I am God. And I sent that tormenting spirit because of her unforgiveness. I thought, "No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God. You mean that scripture I read over in Matthew 18 really meant what it said? And I said, okay. Then if it does, then First John 1, 9 has got to be true too. So if I can get this woman to confess her sin and I can get this woman to forgive her, whoever this is, I asked the man, I said, do you know who your wife has an unforgiveness toward? He said, yes, her first husband. He said, you see them two boys right there? I said, yes, sir. He said, when that second one was born, he ran off and left her in the hospital. with was no money and nothing and he never helped her do nothing. and said, so she's hated him with a passion ever since. Now, How many of you ladies think she had... A good cause to hate this guy. I mean, he's brought two babies into the world with her, and the second one left her in the hospital with no money and not taking care of her and just left her and walked off and left her. She ought to have a legal right to hold something against him, shouldn't she? But not according to the Word. She's got to forgive, which she hadn't. Now then, it had almost ruined her life. She's had all this problem, all this complication. She's had... A hysterectomy, and she's still got these cramps. and these tramps is a demon. A tormenting spirit sent by God to torment her. And so I told her, I said, ma'am, what you you have got to forgive your ex-husband. And all of a sudden, a little lady's voice, she said, no. She said, I, I could never forgive him for what he'd done for me. I said, ma'am, you've got to forgive him. I said, if you don't forgive him, he's going to ruin the rest of your life. I said, repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I forgive so-and-so from my heart. I mean, I drug that out of her word by word, syllable by syllable. When I finally got her to confess that sin, repentance, from, from holding that grudge against that man, I said, now then, devil. Now, and in the meantime, before I'd said that, when she was so mean and wicked, I told her, I said, ma'am, what you need is Jesus. She said, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. That was that devil talking out of her mouth. Her eyes were blinded by the God of this world, just like Second Corinthians 4, 4 says. So anyway, whenever she repented and asked the Lord to forgive her and, asked, and said, I promise to forgive my ex-husband, I said, now you devil of hell, you have no more legal claim to her. In the name of Jesus, you have to leave and bam. Just like that, he was gone. He never said another word to me. He never, you know, counteracted me. Or, not that he was just gone. And I could see her eyes clear. And she throwed her head up. And I said, Ma'am, now what you need is Jesus. This woman says, Yes, yes, I want to be saved. And so I let her into the kingdom, got her saved, and now then I've got her delivered. I got her saved. And then as soon as I got her saved, the woman jumps out of the chair. And, of course, I am spring-loaded because I don't know what to expect.
1: So, so you can understand, can't
0: you? When she starts to jump at me, I jump up, and she jumps right up and grabs me, kisses me on the cheek and says, you've got to pray for my boys. I thought, man, a woman is trying to kill me a few minutes ago. Now she wants me to pray for her children. So you see the contrast between being saved and being lost. It's quite a contrast, wasn't it? Now, why was this woman suffering? Because of her unforgiveness. Once we got her set free from that demon because she had repented, and I would have never known this. that Scripture I'd read in Matthew 18, I just couldn't believe that God would send a torturing, tormenting spirit to torment a human being. But he, he says he will. I mean, that's not the only place he said that. You go back in the old covenant. And when his favorite little son, Saul, didn't do what he said, it says, then God sent a tormenting spirit to torment Saul for his disobedience. Anybody ever read that scripture? Somebody says, you know, God didn't send that. He said he did. But do you know? I have seen men write books about explaining away that God didn't mean what He said there, and that He didn't send that demon. Why well, can't we just read the book at face value and take it as what it says? Because if God said He sent a tormenting spirit to torment Saul for his disobedience, let me tell you, the King sent a tormenting spirit. You agree with that too? I mean, if you don't agree with that, you don't agree with God's Word, right? So we got to agree with what's written in the Word. So it makes no difference if we're in the Old Testament or the New. Under the new, we've got a set of rules here. He's telling us what we're supposed to do. And if we will do these things, then he will do what he said. He will bless us. Now then, he says there, it says, but now, but now you also, you, you put off all these things. And listen to what he's listening Now, These are things you and me are supposed to put off today. Now listen to this close. Now you are also to put off... Oh, it must have said of being all. It must have meant some of these things. Did your Bible say all too? In verse 8, now put off all of these things. The first one, what is it? Anger. (laughs) You're going to have to get a hold of that thing. Just like me, right, Chief? It's a chore, isn't it? it It's a battle. I mean, when people do enough bad things out there, I know Keith's in the construction business working with all these guys. (laughs) I know. You really have to be in control of this, don't you? I mean, somebody can do something wrong about the tenth time. If you ain't careful, you can lose it. You can lose it. But the Lord says we are to put off all these things. And Number one is anger. Number two is wrath. Number three is malice. Number four is blasphemy. And the next one, nobody would ever do this. Filthy communications. Wow. Filthy communications. You know, it's amazing the words that come out of people's mouth. Even Christians, isn't it? Filthy communications. Wow. Out of your mouths. And he doesn't stop there. Lie not one to another. You're supposed to be a truthful person once you become a child of God. Truth. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now that's the way it's supposed to be. If you and I are truly dead, and we've died with Christ, and He's living in us, These things should go away. So that tells us where most of us are living, doesn't it? Now, I know none of y'all but me has ever walked in these bad things. You know, it's so so easy to step outside of the rules, isn't it? Is it easy to get angry? (laughs) Really? Jack, I can't believe a Christian man would ever do something like that, huh? You're just like me. So repent, real quick. Depend, repent real quick. There you go. How easy is it for us to lose it and go into anger with just some of the simplest little things? Isn't it amazing how easy it is to lose it? But the Lord tells us we are to get rid of all these things. Anger. this thing. The Lord says in over in the book of Ephesians, he says, "Don't even go to bed angry, lest you give place to who to the devil. Now, who would ever dream I had a man here one night sitting back there, just about where John's sitting right now on a Sunday. He said, Can I come up and give a testimony?" I said, Yes, sir, so he got up and come up here. He said, you see that woman sitting right beside where I sitting? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman 50 years. I said, well, praise God. That's great. But he said, last week, me and her had a serious disagreement. Now, 50 years and they're still having serious disagreements. So I, <laughs> I got a feeling that seems to be the way of life with people. You can't even take one man and one woman and put them in the same house. And once in a while, they will have a conflict. Is that true? Sure it is. So he said, after 50 years, because they looked at each other's life like, I'm glad that don't ever happen to us. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. But anyway, he said, that woman back there and he had a serious disagreement. And he said, I went to bed mad at her. He said, I woke up the next morning, I had a serious pain in my back and down one leg. He said, I thought about what you said here in church. Those are demons. So I said, You devil of hell. He said, I'm a man of God. I got authority over you. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of me. And he said, It twisted me back. I said, Oh, whoa, whoa.
1: <laughs>
0: he said, It hurts so bad. He said, What's going on here? And when he's trying to rebuke this thing, he said, It got worse. And then he said, All of a sudden, the scripture came to my mind where you said, Before you rebuke a demon, you've got to get rid of all your sin. He said, Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. For getting mad at my wife. Now then, you devil of hell, come out. And he said, He got worse again. And he said, Uh oh. He said, Thurman said, I also got to love my wife. Husbands love your wife. So he said, I obviously didn't do that last night. So he said, Lord, forgive me. And he said, I had to call her. I said, Lord, what i got to do? He said, you got to get right with your wife. So he said, I had to call her and tell her, honey, honey, I sure am sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I got mad at you last night. He said, I'm dying. This was a great testimony. I mean, it was great. He said, as soon as I said, honey, will you forgive me? And she says, yes. He said, okay, Lord, I've done everything now. He said, now you devil hell, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And he said, bam, the pain was gone just like that. He said, boy, I'm telling you, this stuff you teach, he said, it got my attention. He said, it really works. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, who do you think sent that demon to torment him because he got out of a love walk with his wife? Who sent that? Who do you think sent that, Jack? The Lord did. Oh, that was sure hard for you to say, wasn't it? (laughs) You don't think Daddy would get the stick out after one of us boys if we do something wrong, would he? Yeah, yeah, yeah! <laughs> Isn't that tough? That daddy would get to switch a hold of us when we get into disobedience. But we did that to our children, didn't we? And we're still just children, aren't we? We don't want to think we're just children. Here we are, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty years old. We don't want to think ourselves as children, but we are, aren't we? And with God, we're always children. Age has nothing to do with it. So, here's the things Daddy is telling us to get rid of. All anger. Don't have none. All of those things. Everything he's talking about, and even that filthy communication. Now, I've been around a lot of job sites, and I'm telling you, and Keith, you're, out, you're still around them all the time. You're out there in the workforce. I bet you there's never a day goes by you don't hear some of those guys use some kind of filthy words. All day long. All day long. Yeah, you hear it all, all the time. That's just a way of life for them, isn't it? Sure. That's just a way of life for men that don't know Jesus. And, of course, the sad thing about it is some of those men go to church once in a while. Some of those men, if you ask them if they're a Christian, they'd say yes. But they have... have, In fact, I had a man come up this last week, just yesterday. And I was doing work... Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, Monday. I was doing some things, and a man stopped to ask me some questions. And he had his wife with him. And I talked to them a few minutes. And I said, by the way, are you a Christian? And he kind of looked at his wife and looked at me and said, Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: and I said, well, you didn't say that very strongly. I said, Uh, you need to really check out your life, and you need to get back in church. And his wife reached over and patted me on the arm. <laughs> I thought to myself as I looked her right in the eye, you know, she's saying, Keep telling him. Keep telling him. He needs to hear it. He needs to hear it. I've been telling him he ain't listening to me. Maybe he'll listen to you. I saw that in her eyes. You know, she wanted me to tell her husband about Jesus. But I'll have many of opportunity in the future. I know where he is now, and I know who he is, and so I'll have an opportunity to talk to him about the Lord. But it says here, after you put off all these things, he says, We are to, after we lie not to one another, and we are to put on the new man, verse 10, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In other words, you and I are supposed to be being conformed into the image of Jesus. When somebody sees you as a born-again daughter or son of God, your attributes should be so like the king that they get an idea of what Jesus is like by talking with you. That's a pretty big mouthful, isn't it? But that's the way we should be. They sh- you know, technically people should see a glow on us. They should see a smile. They should see the love of God. They should see people that doesn't let the troubles of the world bother them. That just kind of laugh it off and praise God, and we're joyous and loving. And if the problems come, we just saying, Lord, thank you for another test. Now let's pray about this, just like I did with Jenny last night out at the ministry center. Cheryl was standing right beside me whenever Jenny walked up, and both of us looked at her and I said, Wow! When she said, I don't know what happened, but I drank something up there a while ago, and then I drank a little orange juice after, and she says, Man, you know, I'm on fire. I mean, she was on fire all over. So I just reached up and laid my hands on her, rebuked it, commanded it to go away. And I mean to tell you, she, as soon as I got through speaking, she looked, she said, wow, it looks great already. I went back in there just in a few minutes, and I mean, she didn't have a weapon on her nowhere, not one. How much power and authority did the Lord give you and me as these sons and daughters? All. All. Oh, I mean, boy, you can't hardly beat that, can you? A blank
1: check. Yeah.
0: I love a blank check, don't you? Woo! I love it, but I've got to walk in that. I've got to believe that. i got to believe if that check is a million dollars, I've got to have the faith to sign it. In other words, if that million dollars last night to me was speaking to her body and making it line up with the Word of God, that was a million dollars, and I was putting my name on the line in the name of Jesus. See, he'd already put his name right on the top line. He's waiting for me to sign under his. It takes two signatures, yours and Jesus's. He thought he signed his. Isn't that something? He signed his side of that two thousand years ago. It's already done. Wow, he went back to heaven. This is the way I see that. I've thought about this a lot of times when it comes to all spiritual gifts were given to us. They're all already ours. Healing is ours, salvation is ours, everything. So when Jesus died on the cross, when he went back to heaven, he said, Dad, I'm going to put my key. Behold, he gives him great pleasure to give you the keys to the kingdom. And know what he said? He give us the keys to the kingdom. He said, I'm going to give my children the keys to the kingdom and what I'm going to do, I'm going to take my key, I'm going to put it in my side of the lock and I'm going to turn my side. It's unlocked. Now all they got to do on earth is signed the key to salvation. When they put the key in their side of the lock for salvation, the salvation door flames open, and there I am to to save them right there from all their sins, to wash them clean. Who does that belong to? The whole world. All anybody's got to do. I don't care how bad you've been, right? Anybody. If he can save me and you, Keith, he can save anybody, right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I kid him like a medium, both worked out in that contracting world. He's still out there, so I know what he deals with every day. I used to deal with it myself. I know the kind of people that you deal with. But the keys of the kingdom is given, in any one of those men that he or I worked with, any one of them, at any time out of here, how mean they've been, if you can convince them to put that key in there and by faith turn it, the door will open and they got salvation. But the key to healing has already been done by Jesus also. By his stripes you were healed. All you got to do is repent of every sin and believe. How about the little woman with the issue of blood? She didn't even speak it. She thought in herself. She said within herself, I know if I can touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. And she reached through there and pressed through and touched him. And when she touched him, power flowed out of him. And he turned and said, Daughter, your faith, not mine, your faith, has made you well. You've got to touch that key. You've got to turn that key. When you you find He's already given you that key. Behold, my children, it gives me great pleasure to give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's great power, isn't it? So what's wrong with us? We don't believe. Just like any human being. You mean all I got to do is confess Jesus with my mouth and believe in my heart that the Father raised him from the dead and I can be saved? That's all it takes. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Guess what? There's people by the tens of thousands every day dying and going to hell, and that free gift has been paid for the whole world. Isn't that a shame? But there's many people in the hospital tonight that are children of God that have never. Repented of all their sins and stopped sinning and believed Jesus was a healer. And many of them are dying in the church every day because they've not believed these promises. Just like he said right here what are we supposed to put off? All sin. All these things. We're supposed to get rid of these things. We're not supposed to walk in these things. So what if you don't get rid of anger? What if you don't get rid of deceit and malice? And What if you don't get rid of blasphemy? What if you don't get rid of your filthy communications? What is is it going to do to you? It's going to bring sickness and disease upon your flesh. And who's going to send it? God is. He's going to chasten you because of your sin. Yeah, he'll use a demon to do it. But all power in heaven and earth has been given to him. All power. He's in control. He made everything. Before I learned these principles, I couldn't understand this. You know, I, just, I just couldn't understand the system. I'd look at this system like Dave and Roosevelt. Now and we sat and talked about these things for hours last night. And if we're sitting there. I said, Dave, until I got this picture, I didn't understand. I said, I'd I, I look at people, especially when I see people sick or afflicted or their children, handicapped or whatever, and i say, God, I don't under, I, I could I believe if I had could have made this system, I could have done a better job than you did. See because I'm looking at this like a man. I don't understand God and his principles. I don't understand them, but now I'm beginning to slowly get a hold of this. God has made a set of rules, and if you break those rules, he is no respecter of persons. It makes no difference if you're a preacher or just a little guy on the street. You go out, and I've seen it over and over and over. I've seen people that were married that have one, two, three, four, five healthy, normal children and then have a mentally retarded one or a handicapped one. And you go back and check out their life. And you will find out between five and six, or three and four, whatever it was, that when the problem occurred, that one of those people, either the man or the woman, was in in some kind of sin. And usually when it's bearing children, it's an adulterous situation. Usually they've been in an adulterous affair. I know a man one time, personally, know this man, really personal. And this man married a beautiful girl. And they had one normal child. And then his wife got pregnant a second time. And one day he told me that he was out of town that week. And I said, well, what would you do? He said, I met a girl and said, uh, you know, uh, she was going to get married in a couple of weeks. And so I got talking to her about sex. And she didn't know nothing about it. So I told her, I said, I'll take you to the hotel and show you what it's all about. So he said, she went with me. And so we spent the weekend together, and this woman's going to get married to a man in a couple of weeks. She's never had sex, and this guy, Tucker, and, and his, this guy's wife was pregnant at the very time. And when that child was born, that child was born with cerebral palsy. You know, at the time, I didn't understand it. I, I saw that child being born with cerebral palsy. I knew what he had done. But after that, he didn't do it anymore, and he had a third child, and it was normal but the second one. And I thought, why? Why is this child born with cerebral palsy? But when I started reading the Word one day, years and years and years later, I said, hey, here's the answer. God says, if you do these things, I will curse your children. He did. He cursed His children. Did that child have to be born like that? No. Do you think that daddy would believe to this day if I were to go sit down with that daddy and tell him today that that son, that second son was born with cerebral palsy because his sin in the room with that hotel with that woman before his other baby was born, before that baby was born, that that had an impact on that child in the womb, I'm going to tell you that man so dead spiritually he would not believe a word I said. Well, let me tell you, I didn't write the rule book, but I have read it. And I've read it in detail. You know what it'll do to you? It'll make you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When you get a hold of this book, this book's a scary book. When you get a hold of it, it'll straighten your act up. In fact, uh, that story, when it's talking about all this stuff and how we need to get rid of this stuff, every time when Cheryl met that lady, I think she met that lady down in Louisiana, that I prayed over, that had went down. Yeah, she's shaking her head back there. <clears throat> she had, we had. This a lady that was perfectly normal until she was in her 60s, and she had a husband. She'd been married all those years, and then the husband died, and then she was normal for two or three more years, and then she started getting weaker, and within another two or three years, she's in a wheelchair. And when I ministered to her, I found out. I said, What did you start doing that was sin before you got in this wheelchair? And she said, well, really not anything. She said, Thurman, I'm just old. I'm just getting weak and wore out. I said, well, how old are you? She said, I'm 65. See, now the devil has lied to us to think because we're 65. Did you know there are some men and women, when they get to be 65, they think they're old? They know they're old. I can't do nothing. I'm 65. Good grief. Well, hey. I'm sure glad I'm not 65. Praise God. I'm glad I'm 18. You know. But these people, she thought she was old. I told her, I said, no, ma'am. You're not old. You've got into some kind of sin. Well, I found out she had started having a sexual relationship with a meter reader. Only one time a month. Yeah. Only one time a month. But the sexual relationship she was having... What, how many of you read that Scripture that says that sin brings forth death? We don't understand that. God says if you live in sin, you let sin become your slave, it will bring forth death. It doesn't say it will bring it forth instantly the first time. but Sometimes it does, but not all the ways. And so I told her, I said, ma'am, God is a loving... He made a set of rules... And when you started that sexual relationship with that meter reader, it put a demon in your path, and that demon, every time you do that, is nit- whittling away at your flesh, and you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and it won't be long. He'll kill you. But I said, if you'll repent, God will forgive you, and he will restore you, and I guarantee you can walk out of this wheelchair. That woman said, I, I have been in church all of my life. I've never heard such a thing in my life. But she said, I believe you. I said, okay, so repent. Tell God you're sorry. And make him a promise you will never have sex with that meter reader ever again or anybody else unless you're married to them. She repented. I said, Now the Lord's forgiven you. And I reached out like this and I took her hand. I said, Give me your hand. I said, Now get out of that wheelchair. And I raised her up and the woman stepped out of that wheelchair and walked. And she started walking. And that night she's walked all over the place and everything. And the pastor. Young man, great man of faith. We were getting ready to go home, and he said, "You know, I would take you home, and so you don't have to walk." But said, "I'm in my pickup, and you couldn't step up in a pickup." I know, she said. Before tonight, I couldn't, but now I can. Amen. And that woman, one out there, got in that big old pickup, which it's a big one. It's got a running board, and then she stepped up on her, got a hold of the handle, pulled herself up in there, and got in there. And he said, you know, I would have never believed you could have done that. I said, you know, you don't need him as a pastor. (laughs) You need a man of faith teaching you the Word. You see how little faith we have? Here she's walking and everything. Now you don't believe she's getting a pickup. That's a shame, isn't it? But she did. Well, was down there a couple of years later, and that woman's still walking. She's still healthy, everything. And I said, hey, you look beautiful. She said, I feel good. I said, you haven't seen any more, have you? She said, no, sir. I haven't seen no more. You. Now, you see, we don't believe this, do we? After Cheryl heard that story, uh-huh. saw that story, she said, honey, you've got to tell that. She said, people got to know that story. You know. And then we was down in Dallas one night, and I told that story, and it was a 40-year-old woman came up in a walker, 42-year-old, whatever it was, came up in a walker after the service was over, and she said, I'm another one of those women. She yeah. said, my husband left me a couple of years ago. She said, I was healthy as an ox. But she said, I've got into an adulterous affair with another man. And she says slowly but surely, I'm getting weaker every day. Forty-two years old walking with a walker. Death. It's coming home. See, people don't believe the Word. They think we can just go do what we want to do. And there's no consequences. But God made a set of rules. And is He respect your persons? Nope. It don't make no difference for you. Man, woman, little, big, you know, short, skinny, fat, don't make no difference to him. Don't matter what color you are, what creed you are, what nationality, you're a human being. And he made a set of rules, and those rules apply to every one of us. And if he told you to do something, if you want to walk in divine health, you better obey the rules. You know that? If you want to walk in divine health, eventually death Sickness and disease will come up on you if you do not obey these rules in this book. Now I've got, I, I have something to say about God and His mercy. People say, "Well, God has mercy, new mercy every morning." Yes, He does. And I'll tell you how merciful He is. There's a pastor I know that told me this story. He said, years ago, I was asked to come to a house of a 20-year-old young man. And he said, when I got over there, I, the boy had a broken back. He was bedridden. He said, they called and asked me because I am a man of faith. Now, he had been a Baptist, but he had stepped over into a faith world, I will have to say. He said, I went over there to pray for this boy. And said so when I prayed for him, God instantly healed his broken back. And said so the boy got up out of the bed and walked off. He said, I later found out that girl he was living with was not his wife. He was living with a girl in a adul- adulterous affair with a broken back. And God, in His mercy, healed him. He said, 20 years later, that same family called me and asked me to come back and pray for the boy. This time they said he's very critically ill. He said, I'm going over there 20 years later to pray for this same boy. And he said, all of a sudden I hear a voice It sounds like somebody in the back seat says, when you get over to John's house, do not pray for his healing. So I turned around to see who was in the car. I said, there wasn't nobody in there. I said, Lord, was that you? He said, yes, son. He said, but Lord, you told me to pray for the sick. He said, I know I did. But he said, I healed John 20 years ago when he was living in an adulterous affair with that young woman. And I healed him when you prayed for him because of your faith. But he said, he has not lived right more than two weeks in any time in the last 20 years. And now then, I've had it. I'm going to take him out. He is not going to live. He has committed the sin unto death. Forty years old. So the man said, I went over there. Of course, how many of you know the Word of God says there is a sin unto death. And I tell you, you shall not pray for that sin. Anybody ever read that in the Bible? Oh, you have. What do we think? We don't believe this or something? There is a sin unto death. Well, now, he didn't put it in it. He didn't tell you what it was. He just said there is a sin unto death. Should that make us do everything we do in fear and trembling? Because how do we know what the sin unto death is? We don't know. And it might be that one we commit today, right? And he says you shall not pray for that. I will not hear the prayer for the sin once I have said it. And somebody has done that. And somebody says, I've I, I never seen anything in the Scripture. I've had a lot of people tell me, I never heard of a sin unto death. But let me tell you, it's written in 1 John, clearly written, that there is a sin unto death, and there is an example of it in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the story is about money. There was a man and his wife named Ananias and Sapphira... And they sold a piece of land for a certain amount of money. I don't know what the money is. It doesn't say, but I'll just say $50. They sold a piece of land for $50. Although the scriptures doesn't say that. And it says that Ananias came to the church and said, Peter, we sold a piece of land for this much, which we'll say $30. And we want to give God all of it. And Peter said, Ananias, why would you lie to God? I mean, wasn't that piece of property yours? Couldn't you have done with it what you wanted to? Couldn't you have sold it for any amount? You didn't have to give God any of it, or you could have given it all to Him, or you could have given Him 10%, you could have given Him 30%, you could have given Him whatever you wanted to, but you're lying to the Holy Spirit. He said, then because you've lied, you're going to die. And bam, and I fell dead. Right there in church. So it says the men came and picked him up and takes him out and they, three hours later they come back They dug a hole and buried him and they walk in and here comes his wife. And Peter says, oh, Sophia, did you and Ananias really sell the piece of land for $30? You want to give it all to God? She said, yes, that's the prize. He said, why well, have you two made up this lie to God? He said, now then, because you have lied, your husband's already been buried, now the same men that buried your husband is going to bury you and she fell dead sin unto death. It says great fear fell upon the church. If God were to do a few of those things today, it might get some of our attention again, wouldn't it? Amen. I've made this joke lots of times. I say, you know, talking about money, I say, okay, today we're going to do it a little different. This is Sunday. Normally, most churches take up an offering. We don't. But I said, so th- today, we're going to set the offering bucket right here. and we, All of you know, God says I demand a tithe. That's 10%. That's what he demands. So today, I want each one of you to take your check or your envelope or your cash, put it together, and I want you to come up here and put your tithes in the bucket one at a time. So the sister gets up, writes her check, comes up here, drops it in the bucket, and she goes back and sets down. Keith, okay, he's next. He gets up, comes up, puts his check in the bucket, goes and sets down. Then Ty gets up. I said, he's my associate pastor. I'll tell you about him. He gets up, he comes up, drops his check in there, and he turns around and falls dead. Now see, he's a great tither. I'm just kidding, but I, I use him because I know he could bury it. See, I didn't know the rest, of, I wouldn't want to do that to know the rest of you, but I can do it to him. He knows he falls dead, and I said, oh, he must not have tithe. And I, I get, and I open the bucket up, and I get it out, and he made a thousand dollars last week, and we know he made a thousand dollars, and he gave God ten dollars. That's not hardly a tithe, is it? And I said, oh, he didn't tithe. He lied to God, so he died. I said, okay. I said, somebody take him out next. I'm going to tell you what, if you come up here and put your money in that bucket, I'll bet you give a tithe, don't you? (laughs) But see, that's what happened in church this day. In the book of Acts, that's what happened. A man and his wife both committed the sin unto death, and God said, that's it? I am not going to put up with this nonsense. And bam, two people fell dead. They committed the sin unto death. Are we grateful that God's merciful? If he wasn't long-suffering and patient, I'm going to tell you there's not a single one of us could be in this room tonight. Not one of us. <laughs> you're laughing like you just like I. I mean, he would have killed me a long time ago. Elder all Point Right at his say, We know that. Now, you talk about God being patient and long-suffering. When you stop and think about your life, and you think about the sins you committed even after you become a Christian, and you're still walking, and you're still healthy, you've got to think, when you walk out of this place tonight, if you're not doing it right now, you ought to be saying, Lord, I am so grateful that your mercy endures forever. I am so grateful, Lord, because if His mercy didn't endure forever, I know I'd be dead. Don't you, Keith? (laughs) We know where we live, didn't we? yeah. Yeah. So, see, God is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. And if He wasn't, it would be awful. I think about when God says in His Word, "Think about this." I listened to somebody was telling me here a while back. There was a, I forget, basketball player, I believe it was. Some guy, and I don't remember what happened, but he was, they were talking about, and he said, I believe he was a basketball player, maybe he's a football player, but some big sports guy, and he made the comment on national television that he had slept with over 1,000 women in his life. Anybody ever hear that story? So that, I don't know, I don't remember which one it was, but uh, some, either a basketball player or something. Oh, 10,000, Okay. Okay. A man said he slept with 10,000 women, and he's still walking. Now, probably the guy don't know Jesus. Probably he does not. But if you are a Christian, and God says, absolutely not one time, not one time, let any kind of sexual fornication or adultery be found among my children, and if you've done that and you're still alive, you need to thank God that He's merciful. You know that? If you've done it five times and you're still alive, you really need to be thankful. And if you've done it a thousand times and you're still alive, you need to get on your face and praise and worship God. Because I'm going to tell you, if I was God and you was one of my children, and I told you not to do something and did it a thousand times, I guarantee you wouldn't do it a thousand and one. <laughs> because I would take you out. Aren't we glad He's merciful? Yes, I'm glad He's merciful. You know, now, it, I mean, but it doesn't mean what it is, whether it's a lie. You know, some people say, well, I never committed adultery at all. Now, I never had a fornication. But he also said, don't lie, too, didn't he? Now, how many of you in here, now, you, I can't ask this question. you to hold up your hand. But every one of us know at least one or maybe who knows how many times in our life, every one of us have told a lie of some kind, haven't we? Amen. I mean, so you tell one little bitty liar, one little bitty lie, what does that make us? A liar. But it was just a little bitty white lie. No, 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 no. They were white, black, red, yellow, green, whatever it was. <laughs> if it was a lie, it was a lie. You know, and it was a sin to God. He told us not to lie. Didn't he? Right there. We just, just lie not to one another. That's one of the things he tells us not to do. But why is it that we read these things that God tells us to do or not to do? And why do we just like slough them off and don't do it? And then we wonder when he says that anything that's not of faith or according to the Word is sin. And sin brings forth death. Now, Paul also told us in the book of Romans that when we sin and our bodies, he said, your bodies are going to die because of sin. You know that I've told this story before, but I had a couple this last year come to the ministry center that I, I thought that was the oldest couple I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, really, they were wrinkled. I mean, you could still smell... Uh, that they were tainted with smoke and alcohol and everything. I mean, I, I, when I talked to them, they had done everything. And, and they would heard me on GLC. It was from out west somewhere. And they called and wanted to make an appointment with me. And they came in and they had every kind of sickness and disease. You can imagine they had so many things wrong with the both of them. Old, wrinkled people. And finally, she was telling me about I think both of them had been married two or three times, both of them. And they had done everything. As I went through their sins, you name it, they'd done it. I mean, you talk about a loose, wild lifestyle. They had it. And I finally said, well, How old are y'all? She was 47 and he was 49. And I would have sworn they were in their late 80s. That's how bad they looked. I've seen 80-year-old people better shape than they were, tell you for sure. What had brought all this devastation upon their flesh? Sin. Sin. And then you run into somebody that's eighty. We got, we have a man that comes to this church every once in a while. He's eighty-five years old, and he is a ball of fire. He writes articles. He don't look sixty. And this guy, it's Jim Nash. Some of you may know. Do you agree with that? He, doesn't he look young? And he's eighty-five. Ball of fire. That man's had a clean life. He's lived for God. He loves God. He seeks God. He stays on his face before God. He's in the Word. Why do you think that man looks so good? Because he has not sinned very much. He's walked holy in obedience to God's Word. Now, the more sin you create, the quicker your body's going to deteriorate. Now then, if you don't find out these things and stop doing these things, it will kill your flesh at an early age. People just don't believe it. They just don't believe it. But it's in the word. Sin brings forth death. Well he tells us what we're supposed to do here in Colossians chapter three. Then he says here let's see, where was it? We we got to verse ten. We're in verse eleven. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, Barbarian, Syrian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Then he's talking about the elect of God, we're holy and beloved, the bowels of mercy, put on, put on, this is what he's telling us to put on, put on, therefore, "...as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, that if any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye." Now then, I'll throw this in right here. So your spouse really did something today or yesterday that you don't like. oh don't y'all look at each other. <laughs> so your spouse did something you don't like. I'm just kidding you. Either one, what do you have to do one for the other? You've got to love and forgive, right? You've got to love and forgive. Instead of getting on their case, you've got to love them and forgive them. You've got to forgive. You've got to forget. You've got to walk in love. Is that right? Now, what if you don't? What do you think it's going to do to you? It's going to bring sickness and disease to your body. I can assure you. If you don't do what God says, just like that gentleman that said back there right where John's sitting tonight, When that old gentleman got up and said, That woman sitting there who's been married to me 50 years, and he got angry with her and went to bed mad at her and woke up the next morning with a demon in his back and rebuked it and tried to drive it out, and the Lord made that demon twist him, and he said, It hurt like crazy. Until he got right, not only with God, but with his wife, he could not cast that thing out. Isn't that amazing? That God would send a demon to torment us when we get into sin? We don't see this side of God very often, do we? But it's there. Dave and I have been studying this out so intently. He's back there waving his hand at me. He and I have been studying this out together so intently, we have both decided there's only one that you need to be concerned about in the Word of God. You know who that is? The Lord. You need to please Him. If you please Him, you don't have to worry about the devil. Because the devil is not going to come get you. And you know, it couldn't be any clearer under the law when you read Psalms 91. Psalms 91 under the law. The Lord clearly said, If you will make me, the Most High God, your dwelling place, and you will say of the Lord, He is my Lord, He's my God, He's my strength. He's my shield and my buckler. In Him do I trust. I'm just putting God. I'll say, Lord, You're my everything. The Lord says, oh, in verse 3, then once you do that, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will stop him. And there will be no sickness and no disease come near you. You'll see a thousand fall at your hand. Ten thousand at your right hand. But not one thing shall hurt you. Those are pretty awesome promises, aren't they? How many of you here have ever read Psalms ninety one? I hope everybody has. It's an awesome, awesome book. Awesome book. But when you come over to the new covenant, I want you to turn for first John five eighteen and I want you to read first John five eighteen and see what happens over in First John five eighteen if you do not sin under the new covenant when it comes to the devil. First John five eighteen. Turn over there and let's see what that says. Now then, when you read this, you will, if you read it and meditate on it and see what God is trying to tell you in 1 John five eighteen, He will tell you first of all as His children, as His children, as His obedient children, how much you're supposed to sin. And when you read it, who's got it? Okay. How- how much, how much are you supposed to sin once you've become God's child? None. None? Now surely God wouldn't expect me not to sin at all. But that's what He said, isn't it? He said, if I don't sin, what can the evil one do to me? He what? He can't touch me? Wow. Is that what your Bible says? If you don't sin, you walk holy before God, the evil one cannot touch you. Who do you think the evil one is? That's the devil. So what if you do sin? He can touch you. Well, then, my goodness gracious, then we need to find out what sin is. Because if you don't sin, He can't touch you. But then we said in Romans fourteen twenty three, if you do anything that's not of faith, it's sin. So what if you hadn't read the whole book several times? What do you think the chances are of walking today without sinning? Zero. What if you don't know the rules? What if you had not read the rule book? You're going, to, you're going to break the rules. I mean, just like if I were to take you out there on that highway and I don't put any speed limit signs up that you can see, let's we'll say that right here when we get on the highway, there's a speed limit sign that says 60. is not another one for 10 miles up the road. Now then, if there's a speed limit sign that says 60 here and it's not another one for 10 miles, what's the speed limit in between those two signs? 60. So, what if you, what if the sign's here and you pull out right here and you head up that way and say, well, no speed limit signs, so I can drive 90 if I want to. And you pass around the corner, friend there's one of those little boys with the blue and white and red blinking lights on his roof. And he turns them on. And he stops you. Will he give you a ticket? Well, you'll say, but I, sir, I pulled out on this freeway and I didn't see no speed limit signs. He said, you should look better. Because he's going to give you a ticket, isn't he? See, you might not have known the rules. But you're going to pay the consequences anyway, aren't you? And that's exactly the way the kingdom of God is. Actually, in Leviticus, in fact, turn to Leviticus 5.17, but way back in the beginning of the book. Leviticus 5.17, and let's see what the king said in Leviticus 5.17. I mean, there's got to be something in here that if I don't know these rules, surely he don't hold me accountable for these rules. Leviticus 5.17, and let's see what he said. Way back there under Leviticus five seventeen. <clears throat> now then, if I don't know the rules, does God hold me accountable according to Leviticus five seventeen? Yes, what does He say there, young lady? What? He says, if if I don't even know the rules, He still holds me accountable for all of them. Yes, sir. Well, now then, if he, if He now, did anybody else's Bible say the same thing? Hers did. You are said the same thing too? Now wait a minute. If God's going to hold you and me accountable for everything in the Word, whether you know it or not, then I think we ought to start reading the rule book more often, don't you? Diligently. Diligently. Because He's going to hold me accountable for not reading it too because He told us over in 2 Timothy 2.15 that I am to study this book to show myself approved unto God. Now what if I don't do that? That, that doesn't line up with the Word. So that's sin, isn't it? So did I just break a rule? Yeah. Am I guilty of sin?
1: Yeah.
0: Isn't it did amazing. And he holds us accountable for the whole book. Now we want to know why so many people have so many problems in the church. Are we getting the picture? I wonder how many of us sin every day. Every one of us probably. That's why every once in a while I just walked in and said, Lord, I repent of every sin known and unknown. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm trying my best to walk in obedience to your words. I want to repent of every sin known and unknown. It, it pays good dividends to do that once in a while. Yes, sir, yeah, because we don't want to sin, do we, Keith? That's right. No, because we know there's consequences. Yes, sir. He's going to hold us accountable. And it says, and then after he says, after we forgive all those people, and he says, and above all these things, uh-oh, there's something that goes above all this. We're back to Colossians three, fifteen or fourteen. And above all these things. So if all these things we talked about up and down through this list, if they're not important enough, he said, Now above all these things, above all these things, you're supposed to do something. What does the word say you're supposed to do? What? Love? love? You mean God would expect us to love one another? Does He expect us to love one another or does He command us to love one another? This is your wife here, right, Jay? It's not your wife? Okay. So who is this girl then? (laughs) 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 Are you lying to me? Okay, we go to church together. Okay. Okay, he's his brother. Okay. So he wasn't lying to me.
1: He's telling me the
0: truth. No, you don't have a wife, huh? Okay, so you're, you don't have one. Okay. Well, praise God, you know. I didn't know. That's why I asked the question.
1: That's I
0: get into trouble when I make assumptions. That's why I always ask the question. Is this your wife? Because I'm to make a statement. And I thought, no, I've learned my lesson the hard way several times. i better make sure. And so, this couple back, y'all are man and wife. Okay, so y'all are married, okay? Y'all, because y'all told me you'd been married 35 years. That's right. Okay, so if if God tells us above all things put on love, and then He told you as the husband to love your wife, or if you don't, I won't answer your prayers. You think He meant that too? Imagine. You imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you don't love that girl like Christ loves the church, forget coming to the King and asking Him for something. Right. But if you're loving her like Christ loved the church, then he says, if my word that, that word, if. It's a big word, isn't it? If my words remain in you, and if you remain in me, in other words, in your words, these words remain in and we obey them and do what they say. He says, then you can come and ask me for... Oh, you know that Scripture, don't you? I can ask you for anything, and so instead of going to the doctor... Instead of going to the doctor, if you two are walking in love and doing what God says, then you two can come together and ask the king in faith to take that thing away and make sure you got every sinner attended up, and guess what's going to happen if you believe him? It's yours. Isn't that something? He promised it to you, didn't he? Now, when, when we walk in obedience to his word, he promised us. In fact, I had one woman one time. She said, Thurman, I see all these promises. I never knew these things in here. You showed me dozens of places where God made the awesome promises, but she said, Maybe, just maybe for me, God's answer is no. I said, Well, you know, if that was true and he could say that, then, you know, you know, but I said, You couldn't he couldn't be a faith God and say no ever. Because if we have to come to him and ask him in faith, and he could say no. We couldn't we couldn't ask in faith because you might, it'd be too easy for the enemy to say, but you know, he's not going to do it for you. Remember, he said it's conditional. On sometimes he'll say yes, sometimes he'll say no. But see, the condition on his promises is if you obey his word, then you're walking in obedience to the word. And when you're walking in obedience and doing what he says, then he says in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. How many times He says no? You know what that says? Turn over there and read it. You need that. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. In fact, read verse 18, 19, and 20. And when you get to them, would you mind reading them to everybody? Or would you would you mind doing that? 2 Corinthians 1, 18, 19, and 20. And let's see. If you have ever sinned, repented of, and you and your husband ask God to heal you, restore you, and make you whole. And if you find the scripture, it guarantees that he says you two can ask for these things. And he did in Matthew 18:19. Again, i tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Isn't that an awesome promise? Well, Matt, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20, read those three verses. How many of the promises of God are yes? Oh, my goodness! So now then, can you stand on that? You can see, see how does how does faith come? By hearing these promises and knowing them. And so when you get a hold of something like that, you say, "Hey, God, it's done." I mean, I, I repent of every sin. My husband repents of every sin. We're standing in faith. Now we're going to believe you. It's done. It's done. And then you just praise Him and worship Him and don't think nothing. That's just like on a Bible study just a few weeks ago, we had a great testimony, a man by the name of Vernon Cannon, that came from Hobbes, New Mexico. Huh? Oh, Vernon and his wife had come two and a half months before to a healing school. And he came up and asked me after the healing school was over. He said, Thurman, do you think Jesus can heal dyslexia? I said, no, sir. I don't think he can. I know he can. I said, he can do anything. He said, well, I want you to pray for me. I'm 77 years old and I was born with dyslexia and I've never been able to read in my whole life. 77. So I rebuked the enemy. He repented of his sins and and his wife did and everything. And we stood on a promise in God's Word. And when he got ready to leave, he said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to start saying, thank you, Lord, I can read perfect in the name of Jesus. So he walked out here today saying, Lord, thank you, I can read perfect. I said, oh, you can read? He said, well, not yet, but I'm, Thurman said, say it. So he said, I'm saying it. And so after he said it for two and a half months, everybody, when he'd say, thank you, Lord, I can read perfect. Everybody just, they knew he couldn't read, see. But he's standing in church two and a half months later, one Sunday morning, so I looked up her and I said, that screen sure is bright. And he said, all of a sudden, the words came into perfect, clear focus in life. I said, thank you, Lord, I can read perfect. And of course, you know, that doesn't carry no weight. And I could have been saying that for two and a half months. See? So he goes to lunch and he reads the menu and says, thank you, Lord, I can read perfect. And he orders his lunch and nobody picks up on it. He gets home. He gets home and he walks and says, honey, I can read perfect. She said, okay, sure, sure you can. He said, no, I'm telling you, really, I can read perfect. Okay, I got it. No, I can really do it opened her Bible and said, Read that line right there. And he read it, and he said, My wife started doing cartwheels.
1: <laughs>
0: For the first time in 77 years, Vernon could really read. Isn't that That was an awesome testimony, what it takes. Ty being a doctor, he knows ain't nobody, nothing on this world can heal dyslexia except God. And just think, Vernon's 77 years had not been able to read. And all he had to do was pray, and rebuke, uh, we had rebuked the enemy and then believed God and start saying, Lord, thank you. I don't have no tumors. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. But it took two and a half months for it to manifest. But he came back down here two weeks after that. He could still read perfect. He stood right here and gave that testimony for that Tuesday night. Does God still do wonderful things? Is His mercy endures forever? Yes, it does. But He let Vernon go for 77 years because he didn't know these things. He could have been healed a long time ago if he had only known, but he didn't know. That's just like me. All those years I had back trouble. I could have have walked out of that, but I didn't know these things. I didn't know how to make these things work for me. But he says there, and above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Love is the bond that holds everything together. Without love, what works in the kingdom without love? Nothing. Nothing. That's right, love. If you don't have love, you don't have nothing. Nothing will work. Faith won't work. Nothing will work without love. You've got to have that love. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it rule you. The peace of God rule you to the which also you are called in one body. And be ye thankful. I mean, you know, as we drive down the road, we ought to be thankful. You know, as we get up in the morning, we ought to look up and say, Lord, thank you that I can see this morning. Lord, thank you that I woke up this morning. And for sure, when you start getting to where you really understand how Thankful we are for what God has done for us. I mean, we shouldn't drink anything without praising Him for it. We shouldn't eat anything without praising Him for it. I mean, we shouldn't be ashamed. We go to a restaurant to eat. We shouldn't say, well, let's pray outside before we go inside. We not offend somebody. Hey, forget it. I don't want to offend anybody, but I want them to know I believe in Jesus. And you can't ever tell. We went to to Denny's down here the other night, about five or six of us. We was in there praising God. We were right in the middle of places. I'm sure everybody around us, everywhere, they had to know because we was talking loud to each other. And I'm sure everybody in that place knew we were a bunch of crazy Christians. But we didn't have any idea what was going to happen. But when we got ready to check out, the lady came and said, Who gets a check? I said, I do. It's my time. And I grabbed it and she said, Oh, okay. She said, It's already been paid for. Those men at that table right there, they paid y'all's meal when they left. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? See, when you worship God and praise Him, you get your meal paid for sometimes. (laughs) Praise the King. It was wonderful, wasn't it? We didn't even know who those guys were. But they did leave a little deal, and they were pastors of another church up in Louisville. Isn't that amazing? So we were down there worshiping and praising God. And I bet they thought, you know, these guys, man, mean, these guys must really love Jesus. That's all they're doing talking about the Lord. But that's what we all need to be doing. You know, we need to be worshiping him, praising him, and thanking him for all the things he does for every one of us every day. And when you give him the glory and the praise, that's when he says, Come and ask me for. It. I like those promises, don't you, Jack? Ooh. I mean and and after all, if it was me and you and I said, Ask me for anything, I got some limitations as to what anything means. You know that? But he don't have, does he? No, he has no limitations. He can do anything. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 is a great and awesome promise. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can even think or imagine, and it's according to the power that works in you. Now, how much of that power is alive in you? Most Christians don't have any of it. You know why? Because they're not walking in all those things. So that's why there's no power in the church. According to the power that's in you. All the power should be in you, and me, but it's not. Isn't that amazing? There's a, a little bit. When you get a little bit of that power in you and it really starts working, then what's going to happen when you start praying? Wonderful things. Wonderful things. But if you could tap into all of that power, you could become perfectly trained. And you're a princess of the king of the universe, perfectly trained in all his ways. When you speak in his name, whatever you say is going to happen. That's the power we want, right? Wow. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for another evening of Bible study. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for these promises that You put in here. And sometimes, Lord, we can take a little chapter like in Colossians 3 and read over it in one minute and miss everything You've said. But Lord, help us to meditate on these promises. Take them apart. Look at them. Think about them. And pray over them and let You speak to us out of Your Word so Your Holy Spirit will teach us what You have for us in Your Word. And Lord, may You use every one of us this week and the weeks to come, mightily for your kingdom. Use us to go and teach people about the kingdom, to bring people into the kingdom, get them saved, get them delivered, get them healed, Lord, and to do great and mighty things. And Lord, help us to walk in that. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for being here with us tonight. And we love you and praise you and thank you for another opportunity to get into your word and study it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.